0: Welcome to Sound & Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound & Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound & Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden makes some of the best art materials that you can get. You can find their products Online at goldenpaints.com or in your local art store. Sound Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum makes incredible coffee that you can have delivered to your door. Check out their website, fulcrumcoffee.com, where you can order subscription coffee services to have different blends delivered straight to your door, and you could save by entering code ALFREDSTUDIO when you check out. University in New York and a BFA from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. She was a recipient of the Helen Frankenthaler Scholarship at Columbia University in 2020 and an Elizabeth Greenshields Foundation grant in 2019 and 2022. Her work has been exhibited at Alexandra Bergman in New York, Simon Lee Gallery in London, Rolando Anselmi in Rome, Averkamp Leistenschneider in Berlin, Amongst others, her work is represented in the public collections of the Columbus Museum of Art and the Museum of Contemporary Art in San Diego, and she lives and works in Jersey City, New Jersey. A Thousand Ships runs through February 2nd at Bake Room Gallery, Los Angeles. I spoke to Yuri about always drawing, philosophy, Singapore, Chicago, quiet and painting, and so much more. Here's our conversation. So, yeah. So let's talk about about you. (laughs) So where did did you grow up?
1: Uh, I was born in China, Harbin, and uh, I moved to Singapore when I was 12. So I kind of grew up in Singapore, then moved to Chicago for undergrad and New York for grad school.
0: That's it. That's the podcast. We just wrapped it all up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's my elevator pitch. You know, (laughs) elevator pitch whenever people ask me, where are you from?
0: So... Harbin is isn't that by Beijing?
1: Yes, it's further north of Beijing. It's very close to Russia.
0: Yeah, because there's a isn't there like a famous school there, like HIT or something?
1: um uh, maybe I think there might be a few like engineering schools over there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's it's very rare. I don't know
0: that much about it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, it's a very interesting place because um, it's like the biggest city that's Chinese city that's close to Russia. So we have a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, the, a lot, there are a lot of Russian people in my hometown. So the landmark from my yeah. hometown is actually a Russian Orthodox church. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> And my mom did a lot of, like, traveling in Russia, so whenever she came back, she always brought me catalogs of Russian museums. That's how I kind of oh, got cool. into oil painting, even though I grew up in oh. a small city in China.
0: Now, was she going there just for for work or just for fun?
1: Uh, for work, because she spoke Russian, so she was, like, you know, the guide for Chinese tourists while when they were oh, traveling. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. How did she... Did she learn Russian to do that sort of thing? Or did she just learn Russian?
1: Uh, she, yeah, she learned Russian to do that. She did, like, Russian language in her undergrad, I think.
0: Oh, okay. That's interesting. And she was an art fan or a museum fan?
1: She was, she was, you know, she was very interested in museums, art fan. I'm not sure because later on, when I got into art, she was pretty against it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> she was wasn't a fan. It's fine in a museum, but she didn't think it was the right path for you.
1: Uh, as a as a form of living, no.
0: Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a lot of people. A lot of parents are a little uh, hesitant on that career choice. Yeah. But what was your was your dad like? What did he do? Was he creative?
1: Uh, my dad wasn't creative either. He was just uh, a reg- regular auto shop uh, resale person, but he was very supportive of my um, art education. So when uh-huh. I was a kid, my mom got me museum catalogs. My dad would buy me like art artist catalogs. I remember my mm-hmm. earliest catalog: Van Gogh, Cezanne, Picasso, and Monet. That's nice. my four catalogs that i memorized.
0: <laughs> yeah. Did you, uh, were you drawing when you were a kid? Were you Yeah. interested in drawing a lot?
1: Uh, yeah, my grandfather uh, was an engineer, so he was in charge of drawing a lot of the um, charts, or whatever, graphs for different models and stuff. So he mm-hmm. knew a little bit of drawing. He would always bring me out to draw uh, in nature. We have a river in my city, so we always go to the riverbanks to draw, yeah. No, oh, that's like, nice. We were, yeah, we, we drew uh, like under the tree, and you know, we were drawing the river. People will be behind us to look at our drawings.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's cool. What about um, music when you were growing up? Was there music in the house, or were you interested in music?
1: Um, I was sent to violin lessons. Uh, yeah, I, the violin. I was terrible at it. I was so, so terrible at it. Uh, I just couldn't understand you know because there's no set keys on violin you really have to train your ear Um, I I, I was so I did not have the talent to do that (laughs) that was a pain
0: (laughs) yeah that's true violins don't have frets so there's no you just have to know where to go basically
1: yeah I I took many lessons and art was the only one I was kind of good at
0: that was like your feel that was where you felt at home yeah in a way so um was it a big shift going to Singapore? I mean that's obviously that's a far that's a you know, a distant place from northern China. So was that a difficult transition at that age? You said twelve, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a big move.
1: That was a big move at that point, but later on I also had to move from Singapore to Chicago, which was a bigger move. Uh but Singapore was kind of a nice buffer zone, you know, because the education was in English uh, but at home everyone you know spoke their own uh, mother tongue so at home we will right. speak Mandarin um, it was you know like it was a transition basically and I also liked you know Singapore as a city as a country is very comfortable so
0: yeah yeah It's a, it seems I haven't been to Singapore but it seems so nice
1: the weather is nice
0: <laughs> yeah I've wanted to go I mean I've shown there but I've never actually gone but um, people that I know who've traveled there are usually in an art context, or just you know really into it. So.
1: Yeah, it's it's an interesting place because it's kind of like West meets the East. You have a lot of Chinese yeah. people who uh, moved here, but you also have the British um, colonial like history, um, right? And the Western influence, like we did our high school exam in British education system. Um, right. And you, it's also you know, in Southeast Asia where a lot of different culture kind of mixed together. Like we have a lot of Indonesian food, Thai food, Filipino food. Uh, that part of Singapore that I really like is the mixture of food.
0: Oh, I'm getting hungry. I didn't eat dinner yet. <laughs> <laughs> Just the thought of that.
1: Oh, oh I'll tell um, you the best Singapore, I mean, Malaysian food in New York is Nyonya on Canal. And you know it's oh, legit. Really? Yeah, it's you know it's legit when they do not take credit cards. <laughs> They're like oh, cash that's official. only.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's official. <laughs> Were you studying English before you went to Singapore, or did you? Was it like a crash course once you got there?
1: Uh, just a little bit. I started yeah. like learning English when I was a kid, but not like definitely not fluent enough to move to Singapore. That was kind of challenging.
0: Yeah, it was like jumping into the deep end of the pool.
1: Yeah, because you also have to speak it daily with your teachers and your peers at school. So.
0: but I guess that's a good way to learn fast immersion, right?
1: Y- yes, definitely. And Singapore, yeah. um, you know, like the official language, even though we say it's English, but we call it Singlish, is because it has a lot of different vocabularies from other language at in as well as well, and you know, right. the grammar is a little bit different.
0: Yeah, but I guess the one saving grace is that there are a lot of people from a lot of different places, religion, you know, it's kind of, it feels, it seems like it would be a little more melting pot-ish than if you went straight to Chicago.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. (laughs) That
0: would have been a tricky transition.
1: Yeah, the the transition from Singapore to Chicago was a little bit tougher.
0: (laughs) Right, right. But what about the, um, the sort of cultural shift or like the friends and, you know, like that side of it, was that difficult or did you sort of assimilate pretty easily into the new school? And then how was, were you drawing at that point still and was art still something you were doing and did that get affected at all?
1: Uh, definitely it was hard, you know, you build friendship at one place where you move, you have to start again. And you're this kid from another country, you can't really speak English, you're that nerdy kid who's good at math. <laughs> Uh, it's not that interesting to be that nerdy kid Um, so in the beginning it was a little bit hard but luckily I made I made friends and I went through the same thing again in Chicago you know I had to do that again when I moved to America to understand American culture too Uh, but art has always been something that I I know I want to do since I was a kid since I was like five I was like I'm gonna be an artist Um, I was so naive I thought all I need to do as an artist is just to draw and paint (laughs)
0: <laughs> and then you're set. Yeah, yeah. That's the only prerequisite. That would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a little trickier than that, right?
1: <laughs> Definitely.
0: So, um when you were in high school, so you knew, you were like, "Oh, I, this is something I want to go to school for."
1: Uh, yeah, in, in high school the uh the tricky thing about Singapore is there isn't a lot of options. Um, you know, most of the top universities. If you look at the ranking, Singapore have some of the best universities in Asia, but they do not offer a fine art program. They have excellent engineering course, economic courses, just no fine art course at all. So I either had to do like a private school or I have to move. Uh, and I decided to apply to like schools in US and in and UK, so that I can pursue this full time. It's not yeah. something my my mom at the time approved of, but I just, you know, I only live once I have to I have to just take this chance.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. So how did you, I mean, it sounds like you applied to different places, but Chicago Art Institute was just one of those spots?
1: Uh, Yeah, I had a friend who went to Chicago and said Chicago, you know, it's a very painting, painting school as compared to uh, some schools in UK at that time at least seems to be more focused on conceptual development or like some schools focus more on design. Chicago is pretty hardcore. Just the painting program is very solid
0: yeah so that transition it was tricky and then real quick when you grew up in harbin was that like cold it's northern right it's more it's more probably attuned to chicago weather where singapore is much more warmer climate right
1: definitely harbin is very cold cold to
0: cold to hot to cold windy and snowy and gray (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, I feel like nowadays my, my palette is so gray and blue because of that, because of the weather. If I stayed in Singapore, that's, that probably won't be my palette.
0: Right, yeah, it's funny how, you know, I grew up in Pittsburgh, which is kind of Chicago-ish. Not too, too much rain, but it's just like a gray town, you know. And I think you're, if you spend a long time in an environment like that, that sensibility of like the, the palette and the sky can, can affect your work, you know.
1: Yeah, definitely. The stuff you see feed into your visual language. Yeah.
0: yeah. So did you, I mean, I, you know, I have a long history of going to Chicago, friends who were there playing music there. It was a big part of my um, experience sort of post-college of going there. It's It's such a great town. I mean, the music scene there is really great. There is this feeling, at least I feel like, it's kind of cold and there's not that much to do so people are creative like you could stay indoors a lot in the winter and just get work done and I feel like it's it's kind of like a fertile place for creativity there's great museums there's great culture there creative culture but it it can be a little depressing (laughs) you know it's a little gray and dour sometimes I mean was that did that affect you at all like that new environment and that well I'm sure it was like a, a totally different experience
1: yeah definitely because just even in terms of, of cultural or politics wise Singapore is pretty conservative uh, Chicago mm-hmm. itself is very liberal and the art school in Chicago as I see is very very liberal so right. that cultural change and just starting to understand basically all like a lot of my values changed after I got to art school and got to know more people um, and it really opened up my my views. And we have a great museum. The yeah. Art Institute of Chicago is, is one I feel they have one of the best collections in the world. And our um, classroom is connected to the museum. So you know, when you when you're just like painting, and you get stuck, the professors will be like, Oh, go, go check out a man. go, go ask Manet. how did he do it? <laughs> you know, just go <laughs> walk around the museum till you figure this out. Um, yeah. So I really like that part of my education.
0: That's a really great resource that a lot of schools don't have, you know. And it, it is so close. It's so tied to it.
1: Oh, well, yeah. It's is great. It's, it's, the, in the, it's in the same building. I just I, I go to the museum, in my you know, painting sweatpants, and just keep looking at the painting. It's so different when you see them in person as well. Even, yeah. you know, some paintings you feel like, I know this painting so well. I've seen this ten times. But the next time you see it, you discover something new
0: yeah that's the beauty of seeing it in real life as opposed to just a reproduction um was that sort of liberal new environment was was that sort of freeing in a way or did you feel was it overwhelming and just you didn't know really how to approach that you know what i mean because i imagine that could be either something to where you slide right in you're like oh yeah everyone's like Liberal loosey goosey, everything goes, people are being weirdos or whatever, and it's great. Or maybe it's just a, a lot to take it once.
1: It was a lot. It was definitely a lot <laughs> of things were just not, you know. An um, example was would be like St. Patty's Day, I think. I asked yeah. my American roommate, I was like, oh, what is this? She said, oh, it's an Irish holiday. I was like, what you, aren't you guys American? <laughs> just didn't understand what's going on. Uh, it was St. Was Patty's Day and like Halloween and oh, that was also the year that Trump got elected, and I a lot oh, of people were just crying. <laughs> so what is going on? It was very weird for me to experience this. Yeah. You know, like I just graduated out of high school from Singapore, trying to understand American politics.
0: Yeah, no one, I don't think any of us can really understand what the hell's going on as far as that's concerned. (laughs) 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 Haven't figured that one out. Um, But yeah, so what was your work like going into it? And then how did that experience of, you know, the teachers, the museum, your community, how did the work change over those four years? I'm assuming it was four years.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, in the beginning, it was kind of difficult because when I got here from Singapore, uh, my training was still pretty traditional. I was doing a lot of figure painting. And when I got to Chicago, uh, what was popular was definitely abstract expressionist, like a lot of shapes, a lot, a lot of colors. Um, no one like I remember being enrolled in a class and I was the only one drawing figure and I was so not cool it's like you know being good at math again (laughs) (laughs) you know you're like the that lame person Uh, but things started changing like two years later I realized there are a lot more people just making figure paintings it's suddenly figurative representation paintings you know you know um, became popular again that shift was very interesting because uh, in my first year, I was met with so much criticism that, you know, whatever you're doing, this is so, you're just not cool at all. I almost wanted to drop out and, you know, switch to another school. Uh, was
0: that, it was that anti-figurative or representational? Because I feel like Chicago has a history of, I mean, even if it's more funky, that sort of Harry Who, Jim Nutt, Roger Brown sensibility of figures in spaces, maybe you know not traditional per se but it's not like it's just a place it's like hyper conceptual or abstract or you know but maybe it was just a moment it just felt like
1: yeah maybe it was just the class that i enrolled in um yeah. you know people were doing very cool stuff people uh my classmates were doing were doing like artist books um you know like paintings that's three dimensional and I was just mm-hmm. there like mixing my paint and drawing this face. <laughs> um, but this, the summer of, at the end of my first year in the summer, uh, I took a landscape painting class. That was really fun because I got to go out and just paint whatever I saw again. Staying yeah. true to like realism it was very fun.
0: Who, do, do you remember who taught that class? Oh, was yeah. the teacher pretty? Uh,
1: Richard Deutsch.
0: Oh, nice! Yeah, he, so it was. uh that was influential. That course,
1: definitely. Um, that course because you know it just taught me how to look at colors in real life. You know how the yeah. same shade, like the same green leaf, will look different under different light. So uh, that class, plus you know, I had a meeting with Susanna Coffey, who was teaching mm-hmm. there. So both of both of the, their classes are very influenced. Um, influenced my practice a lot in terms of just how I think about colors
0: yeah so by the time you were getting ready to graduate did you feel pretty solid in like what you were making like you didn't feel like an outlier anymore
1: no not at all when I graduated I was like I own this school cause <laughs> <laughs> I've just taken so many painting classes in the department and just I also took a lot of extra classes as well. Uh, we have like material classes where you get to mix your own acrylic, you, you know, uh, and doing encaustic, ex- experimenting with a lot of different stuff. I was also working for the school uh, as an RA. I was working as other student leaders. So by the time I graduated, like everyone knows who I, who I am. I was very comfortable in Chicago.
0: <laughs> you felt good. Yeah. Now, were you, during your time there, were you pretty locked in at school or in the studio or were you doing other I mean because for me Chicago has great music and like good food like there's it, you know there's other stuff going on were you doing any of that stuff or you pretty locked in just making art
1: uh, I was pretty locked in because I also I had like three part time jobs on campus Whoa. Uh, to, okay that'll to keep support. you busy yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well our schools are expensive
0: yeah they are that's true <laughs> um, yeah so um, when you graduated what was the plan? I mean
1: uh, as an international student I really didn't have a lot of choice so you either stay go to a grad school and continue being a student or you leave um, Yeah. so you have to leave the country and start all your networking start building your career again so I decided to apply for a graduate school uh, and, and so I got into Columbia and went there
0: yeah and how did you pick Columbia or you know you I imagine you might have applied to more than one place but what was it about Columbia that interested you
1: uh, I first I was looking at a big universities instead of art schools again because I already had yeah. that uh, at SAIC I be I started like really enjoy doing uh, like taking philosophy classes so I took all of the philosophy classes available at SAIC I wanted to take more um, so Columbia will allow me to do that—to take classes outside of visual art. Um, at Columbia, I took some anthropology classes, some philosophy mm-hmm. classes, which I liked. Another reason—I just during the interview, Columbia made me felt, you know, very welcome there. They didn't care too much about the CV or statement; they were just looking at the work, like work alone, yeah. speak for you. Uh, because I didn't have any exhibition prior to that, just I was—I yeah. was just fresh out of grad school. yeah of course Columbia's culture as you know as a graduate school felt very nurturing Um, Mm -hmm. it wasn't as career driven it wasn't that harsh on people so I like the vibe and I like New York
0: that's really interesting to hear too because I think a lot there's a perception of Columbia as being like a, a very conceptual leaning school where it's super rigorous and kind of you know very serious and but yeah, I don't. maybe that's not the case. I mean, it sounds like it was very, like you said, nurturing is not a word that I would hear that often to describe Columbia.
1: <laughs> oh, really? Uh, yeah. I don't Maybe it's just the painting department. <laughs> I was very or, comfortable. Or,
0: to be honest, I'm getting older, so it's probably changed a lot from when I went to grad school in that era. I other see. Other people who I knew who went to grad school there, so I'm sure it's a lot different now than it was, just like any school, you know.
1: I see, I see. Um, so real
0: quick, the, the philosophy though, what, what was it about, philo- like what kind, what is your interest in that? What is the, philosoph- the philosophy um, that draws you in or that you're really interested in?
1: Or all of it, I guess. Uh, aesthetic philosophy for the most okay. part, or just like philosophy of art. I loved it because I felt like sometimes as an artist, you have to defend yourself, your work, and what you say about your work. Uh, Sometimes we know what we're thinking, we just can't articulate the point. One very um, common one is when people say, Oh, it's just your taste, whatever you think is just your taste. Um, so I will, I will bring out my David Hume and start talking about objectivity, uh, objectivity within, you know, aesthetic evaluation. So if everyone's taste is relative, why do we have education? Why are we in grad school? Why are we doing this? You know, I right. will, I will be the person challenging that view, um, at a crit. So you know, I feel like I'm a, my own lawyer. I'm trying to equip myself with a lot of languages and concepts so that will be useful and also helps me to think about art you know in a, d- yeah. a very different way um, I study philosophy and existentialism is another one that I'm very interested in so why sure. are we here what are we doing
0: yeah did you have you figured it out
1: <laughs> well my, my favorite book is Camus uh, The Myth of oh, wow, Sisyphus geez. yeah <laughs> Which,
0: yeah,
1: that's yeah
0: existentialism oh, what do you now to parlay that because I taught a class last semester, like a seminar, we were getting into existentialism. Uh, are there movies that you like that explore that topic?
1: Uh, the Seventh Seal, I feel like, is a pretty classic, classic one that talks about mm-hmm. faith, which made me th- uh, think of uh, uh, Kierkegaard.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And recently, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, I took. Oh, I haven't it,
0: seen it yet.
1: Oh, uh,
0: I need to see it. Yeah, I've, it's, I've just been waiting. You know, sometimes you just don't get a like. Oh, I got to see that. I got to see it. I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard it's really good.
1: Uh, I took it as a debate of existentialism versus nihilism. Just like you know, um, mm-hmm. different attitudes on you know, life. Life is meaningless. What are we doing?
0: Right. Yeah, I love that. You know, some people like let's say like you live in the city or something and you uh, you want to feel like you could defend yourself, you know, or you want to feel stronger, so you you might like go take Muay Thai or something just to get stronger or feel like, or JKD, you know, like yeah, I can yeah. defend myself. And for you, for like art, it was like, I'm going to take some philosophy courses so I can, if someone challenges my work, I can kick some ass and <laughs> throw some Kierkegaard at them and <laughs> or, some, you know, like some Hegel or something and just blindside. I feel like it's When I was in graduate school, we read a lot of, you know, it's been a while, but we read a lot of different philosophy in relation to aesthetics, art, um, you know, society, and things that really sort of like were useful in the sense of like you're spending all your time making these images and thinking about the world, and then there's these texts that really think about existence in the world. So even though it's not like, directly related it's just interesting to hear how people posture their relationship to society and the way we think and it just gets the gears moving in the studio even though your work may not not you but someone's work may not be affected at all by all that reading but it's almost like it just i don't know it's comforting to to read other people thinking deeply about stuff in the way that we think deeply about images you know
1: yeah i definitely agree i think it's a very crucial part of uh, my practice as an artist at least Um, i try to constantly absorb different information different like from from philosophy from readings from music like music not so much maybe from cinema especially um, yeah and how you know like they will internalize and influence my work in a more deep or subtle way not that. I will start illustrating what Kierkegaard said. You know, I'll start painting right. about Hegel. It's it's very different. I try to separate the art practice from the philosophical uh, inquiries, but I think it's yeah. very important to keep your mind active in that way.
0: I agree. I just wonder, you know, how how much of that is happening these days in art schools? I feel like it's probably not quite as prevalent as it used to be. Talking about philosophy in relation to art.
1: Mm, I think I think so uh, it's not a nest like requirement requirement text anymore oh yeah. but you know who is very good at it who has been on our podcast is Matthew Ritchie he was my, oh yeah <laughs> he was my mentor at at grad school it was very oh, really? interesting <laughs> Yeah.
0: he's he's got a lot up there <laughs> <laughs> he was one of my my favorite critiques whenever I was in graduate school he came as a visiting artist and he was really thoughtful like he was really good at, like some of it was theoretical and some of it was just like literal things that to physically to do on the painting which was really refreshing but yeah he's got a lot of ideas
1: <laughs> yeah i think some of, someone like him is someone i'm tr- i i hope i you know i aspire to be he's so well read but it doesn't necessarily you know see into his work as from my understanding is that it helps him whenever he sees something as you know when he's teaching when he's looking at his own work he has something he can um, pull out of his head and start analyzing
0: yeah you know when I look at your work there you know there's this sort of like I'm really interested in my own work and in in the world like looking at the world and what that says about us as people and a sort of relationship of the viewer there's a lot of times you're placing the figure in a scene where they're viewing something or you're watching someone looking at the landscape and I I think there's something really profound about just like framing the world and what that says about us as a people or placing the viewer in a, a state like that but it's I think it's risky or not risky it's um challenging in that nowadays when everything's so busy and there's so much going on that quiet can be very much overlooked or you or can just be kind of like oh yeah whatever and things that are loud and flashy or layered or you know super dynamic uh, live more in the realm of the speed of imagery and the way that we encounter that so i'm interested in and, you know, your thoughts about that kind of slowing down or the quiet moment or the the overlooked in, in how that... Is that something you've always had in your sensibility or is that something you're explicitly exploring or is it just... That's just the imagery that you're kind of compelled to make?
1: Um, I think it has all of that me as a person. Um, I usually am not very... very um, I won't speak too much about my opinions, especially, um, you know, I won't be super argumentative unless it's in a a class or something. I try to think about stuff before I say it out loud. That might be the cultural influence. Uh, Mm -hmm. And another thing is just sometimes I think in life there are certain emotions that's that's too difficult to process, to say it out loud, to face them, you know, face to face. So I need the veil, I need a buffer, I need something between me and this event for me to process, uh, for me to internalize before I can face it. So I hope my paintings can function um, like that way for other people as well. Um, One of the paintings in the show is a triptych and has like a figure looking over at, at the New York skyline. Mm-hmm. That's me looking at, you know, that's my place in New Jersey. I, I live in Jersey City. I kind of like that distance. You know, I take the train back to New Jersey at night, and I look at New York from, you know, this third-person perspective, just looking at all these people in FIDI, still working, you know, um, 11 p.m. still in their office. Uh, so I like being an observer of, of things, and, you know, it gives me a little bit more time to think, think about the event.
0: Right. So, when you're making those images, or, like, how are you? How are you positioning the viewer? Are you really conscious of the viewer in that sense, or you? Is it more just about what you're compelled to make, and here it is. Hopefully, you're interested in it. Or you, like, how involved is the viewer in your decision-making process when you're making the work?
1: Oh, um, a very, a very influential like books I, I read in undergrad is one is T. Uh, T. Clark versus Fried, Michael Fried, mm-hmm. uh, like their work on um, realism and romanticism. So uh, and how Fried was talking about how some works like David's uh, work function more like a theater. So the, they are very aware of the viewer. It's like a theater for the viewer to see, whereas someone like Chardin with the poker cards, you know, players, the viewer is kind of like creeping in or something. I like yeah. that part. So the, the protagonist within the figure within the painting is not aware of the viewer. Or, yeah. you know, you're positioning someone like Jericho is positioning the viewer all that, you know, with, like along with the figures. So um, I think a lot of where is the viewer? and a lot of times when my figure is turned away it's that's the you know that's the the placeholder for the viewer to project themselves into the environment because the figure is not staring at you the figure is not showing their face so you don't have to think about oh who is this person what are they doing it's not about that person and their story is about your story they are just you know it's a it's a void for you to exist in
0: yeah what are you there are there artists that capture a sensibility that you feel like resonates with you that you're really like, oh yeah, that's that's a feeling? Not necessarily. I'm not talking about like, oh, do you like the way that artist looks and you're inspired by that? But more of, because your work does have this kind of mood to it. There's like, you know what I mean? There's like yeah. a vibe to it. And uh, I wonder if there's what artists maybe like you feel that resonating vibe with in their work
1: Uh, definitely I think I would say Vermeer yeah Um, I like how Vermeer's work feels so timeless you know it's not a specific time it's not a climax um, of this story it's more of like the empty shots uh, especially yeah. the one in the mat where the the woman is asleep i look at that painting every time i go to the mat and just think how quiet that painting is that painting you know feels like it can hold like up to eight or nine hours she's just taking the nap you are peeking yeah. into her world uh yeah that's one of the paintings. that's one of my favorite paintings and i think about that space a lot
0: yeah, yeah it's it's funny because some of the uh some of your paintings have this very sort of like quiet feeling of like something's about to happen or it just happened or this these moments that feel kind of um, quiet it, but at the same time some of the titles are really like on the nose you know they're like really specific so I'm curious is that to because they are very specific or are you trying to play the balance with the viewer of well i guess a lot of times when people are looking at paintings they don't have the checklist and they're not reading the titles but how is the titling related to you know um the work
1: i i'll have to mention the musical influence at this point and i listen to a lot of taylor swift's <laughs> sometimes it's from her lyrics
0: well, really, I wouldn't have guessed that Taylor Swift was the reference. Um, I, I don't I know a lot of Taylor Swift songs, so they might all be Taylor Swift songs, and I wouldn't know.
1: <laughs> uh, at least one one painting that was called "No Body, No Crime" is from. It's, it's literally the title of her, like of one of her um, songs.
0: <laughs> that seemed. That was one of them that I was like, "That's a pretty heavy title, you know." <laughs> I should have googled it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm a Wait, little bit. what's
0: nothing new under the sun though? What is
1: Oh that's that's more of like the philosophical part, you know, the conception okay. of, of time and how time is linear or circular or, yeah. That's not Taylor Swift
0: <laughs> I thought you might have been like, Yeah, that's a Bob Dylan song, you should probably know that. And I was like, don't oh, I've messed it up. <laughs> but it's it sounds like it could be a great record, like title.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, if you break out the violin and work on it maybe you could release a record <laughs> like new under the sun um but yeah that's um i there was a little bit of uh, a lois dodd feel to some of the <laughs> work like that kind of vibe and i was wondering if you have do you know her work and do you like it
1: oh i'm very glad you said lois dodd and not cats like no offense to cats but i definitely like lois dodd a lot more
0: <laughs> oh lois dodd is so different i mean there's a similarity i guess in maybe a brevity of uh, you know there's a sort of efficiency to the way that they're painted but Lois Dodd's vibe is totally different than Katz I think yeah
1: I people mention Katz and Hopper a lot when they talk about my influence I definitely you know I am influenced by them but Lois Dodd is someone I've uh, admired for many like since I was in undergrad Um, and just the delicacy of the marks especially and how the inside space, the outside space, the organization of shapes. I, I saw her museum show in Greenwich Museum, I think. It was really, mm-hmm. it was really, really good. Um, and also, I think, it was due when, while I was making this group of paintings, I, I saw that show. So that might have gotten into my head in, in that way.
0: It's funny because I came to Lowestod very late in the game. Like, I didn't know her work for a very, very long time. Which is weird because it's so good. I don't know why I missed it. But this, that always happens. It's like musicians, or like music, when you hear it. And you're like, yeah, that's from like 1992. It's like, how did I not ever hear of this before? <laughs> Lois Dobb was like one of those people, you know.
1: I love those house fire paintings. Yeah. I I don't know if she made it like in person, you know, like or from memory. But it would be pretty dope if she just, you know, just like someone's house is on fire and she just, you know, gets there and started right. painting.
0: A plein air painting of the yeah. house on fire. It's like, should I call the fire department? No, I'm just gonna paint this real quick. I'm <laughs> sure they're fine. <laughs> Some of these moments that you're paying attention to, which ride the line between a very banal sort of like you know it could be like a boring you know it's just a window windowsill or something but the way you're cropping it and the way you're paying attention to it it becomes really interesting i think and i think she does that as well
1: yeah definitely i'm aware of her work and the cropping i th- i see it i see it. it's not it's just not something i think about all the time like lois Dodd, um, when i had when i did a group show with lois Dodd, i was just so happy <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, wow, I just yeah. admire her so much uh but i saw a few Kathy murphy's show as well it was pretty good it was really good too and i think about yeah. vs selmans you know just along that line too vs selmans early work yeah, especially yeah. um is I think about those works a lot as well
0: yeah those are I mean those works are so amazing That's how do you feel about scale in your work do you go I mean is it hyper planned or do you have an image and you're like no this image is gonna work bigger or how do you go about the relationship of scale and what it means to the viewer
1: um, I think about scale from more of a curatorial point of view. So I know I was gonna do this solo show at Make Room. I before yeah. I started that series, I, I came here to see the to, um, the space and see the light and see you know because each solo show I don't think about it just as painting next to painting next to painting. I think about it as a story that flows through. Um, you know, for the viewer, it's almost like making a film. So the beginning of the film, the climax, the ending of the film, and all of these parts and how they can you know, weave into each other, how the small works can function like a footnote for the big works maybe. Um, so I started in my head planning you know, the big work, how big this is going to be, how big the figure is going to be, um, the figure's size relative to the viewer's body as well. So a few of the works have like a zoom in and zoom out. Um, to it some of the like one work that's, that's that has the candle um, mm-hmm. the hand is very close to the candle so you feel like the hand is right in front of you whereas um, compared to some of the medium-sized work the figure is a lot further away from you so when you walk through the exhibition space you feel that you know your viewpoint is zoom in zooming out zooming in and zooming out
0: yeah it's it's kind of like I like that analogy of the film or sorry, like you're seeing scenes in a way it's funny because i talk to a lot of artists and i feel like i rarely hear people talk about their shows of the work and like there's certain things you're saying that are things that i co- totally think about in my work like this idea of when you have a show it's like i'm really interested in the the meaning in between works like as you walk through it's not just that's a painting you see it then you go to that painting it's kind of like the story between the two or what that one how that changes that one and then when you go to the next one how that's different in relation to those two so it's it's kind of like building a narrative between the work which I don't know if people get it or not or if they do it but I'm interested in it you know it sounds like that's something that you're into doing you know
1: yeah, definitely. I'd hope you know it can provide the viewer a different experience when they see it in person. You know the physical space the painting occupies, because at the end of the day, it's an object. It's not a JPEG or a PDF. Um, so I like the works that t- can talk to each other. Some of them I organize them like sibling paintings. Um, mm-hmm. They kind of echo each other. Some of them are like parent and kid paintings. So like a small work will redefine the big work when you see it, and the big work was you know um, inform the smaller world
0: right so you know having these shows like graduating from spending basically like what six years seven years in school here and now like now you live in New York right
1: uh, I live in New Jersey yeah
0: You li- well Jersey yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Jersey. same
0: adjacent <laughs> I live in Brooklyn my I'm probably just as far from the city as you are right Oh which part of Brooklyn East Williamsburg?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I'm like it's funny because
0: Brooklyn's just as far from Manhattan as like is Jersey City or you know or places like that but it's when people say Jersey, they're like, oh, that's a different state <laughs> <laughs> but Brooklyn's kind of a different state almost in a way um, but yeah, so in showing your work, how do you feel about I mean, I don't know. I apologize i'm not sure but have you had a chance to show your work in singapore yet uh
1: i presented a few work through an art fair like last year with the yeah. same gallery, make room uh, i was i was not able to go so we just yeah. Um, yeah it was just an art fair i was there for a few days
0: now i was just curious if you've had that chance and how you would feel showing your work you know kind of like full circle going back there and and showing the work and what that would be like
1: yeah i wasn't able to go but i definitely felt kind of emotional because the same the very same art fair was the one i used to volunteer when i was in high school and i just i was just like i just so i just want to get in but it's kind of expensive so i volunteer for free so that i can get into the art fair and talk to people Uh uh you know like I didn't. I didn't know anyone in the art world. I've never even met a full-time artist at that point. So everything was just so interesting to me. I didn't know people could do this as a career. Yeah. Um, so now, if I go to art fair, oh, I recognize the gallery names. I recognize the artists. But when I was, you know, in high school, just things were just so interesting um so now it's a full now it's a full circle and and some my friends and my family in Singapore were able to check it out too so that's
0: a nice feeling right yeah that's cool all right two more things one is when you're painting do you listen to Taylor Swift only
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah well yeah Taylor Swift and and Cardi B and Nicki Minaj Sure, that
0: makes sense. <laughs> I, don't, I, I feel
1: very basic when I, when I, but I have to be honest. Um, you know, some, while my partner is in music, uh, sometimes I feel like this is the equivalent of people saying to me, hey, I love the immersive Van Gogh exhibit.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: Because <laughs> if he said that to me, you know, I, I probably won't go out with him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, listen, Taylor Swift and Cardi B aren't that popular for no reason. They're doing something right. Yeah,
1: I, I like um, feeling confident. I like a lot of like rap songs um, yeah. in, in my studio so that I'm pumped to make work because I'm very happy in my studio. I love painting. I feel energetic, you know, listening to rap and drinking coffee.
0: That, man, we are very similar. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, coffee and hip-hop in the studio, that's like good stuff. Okay, so here's the follow-up to that. And it could be the same, but I doubt it. But if you were to uh, describe what you think your paintings sound like as far as a band or music, what would it be? I don't think your work looks like Cardi B. I'm just being honest. I don't mean to crush (laughs) (laughs) if that's what you're going for, but it feels a little different.
1: Maybe like a piano song, Uh, you know, like a, a piano um, one of my f- very first solo show in New York was titled after Iruma's uh, piece River Flows in You and that's like mm-hmm. a piano piece that was very popular when I was a kid um, nice. so that kind of like slow and you know yeah, more lighthearted music
0: yeah yeah, but a little emotional like mm-hmm. it's got like yeah I can see that
1: yeah definitely yeah, not Cardi it, B yeah <laughs>
0: Although I would like to see a Cardi B version of one of your paintings (laughs) (laughs) to see what it would look like. (laughs) Although you could imagine some of these figures like in a nightclub or somewhere where maybe that environment is happening, but feeling, anyways, that's like projecting. Um, (laughs) And one other question is your name, is it, how do you pronounce Yuri?
1: Uh, Just Yuri, yeah.
0: Yuri, just Yuri? Because that's also a Japanese name.
1: That's also you a d- Russian name.
0: Is Oh, really? <laughs> it's,
1: it's very international, and yeah, that's why that's why I have it. It's a boy name in Russian. Yeah.
0: Got it. Oh yeah, Yuri. Yeah. That's true. It translates well, though. Like it sounds good in English. You know what I mean? Some names don't translate into different languages as well, but I feel like that one works.
1: Yeah, when I was in Singapore, and some some people were having a hard time pronouncing my Chinese name, and that's why I had like Yuri as my English name. Even though it's oh. actually not an English name.
0: So what do you want to say, or you don't want to say what your name uh-huh. name is like your
1: Oh, my Chinese name is Yuan Ye. It means like wild and ambitious.
0: Nice. <laughs> so Yuan Yuan is your last, last name, one. but it's yeah. first name. But right, and then what Yuan? What's the Ye? Yeah. Ye. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I got it. Great. yeah you got it <laughs> <laughs> um well congrats on the show the, the, I, the work looks really great i wish i was in la i wish i could it's been a while since i've been to la sooner or later i'm gonna get out there but yeah that's really exciting thank um, you um, um and then for people who can't get to la what's the best way to keep up to date with your work or check it out do you have any other things that people should check out
1: uh, just uh, I usually just use my Instagram to post my upcoming mm-hmm. exhibitions. Um, I'm working on a solo show in 20, for twenty twenty five. So nice. uh, with my New York gallery Alexander Bergroen. So that's the mm-hmm. next big project. I'll be doing some group shows in between, but that's the next you know full on storyline. Another long feature film production that's going on in my mind.
0: Right, right. It's nice, right? Once you hang that show and you start the wheel, the wheels just start turning. That's like that exciting kind of next. I feel like artists we love to like look ahead at the next thing. It's like, okay, now I want to do this, you know. That's it's, what keeps you going.
1: It's, it's exciting, you know. I always love to feel like excited about projects, feeling confident in what I'm painting. So
0: Sounds good. Well, it was great talking. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast.
0: Sound of Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can check out more about the podcast on the website soundofvisionpodcast.com or check out images on Instagram at Podcast. Make sure you check out Yuri and her current show at Make Room Gallery in LA. Many thanks to Golden Artist Colors for their long-withstanding sponsorship of the podcast and Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Check out their coffee subscriptions just had a cup of coffee before recording this from Fulcrum, their holiday blend. It was amazing. I highly recommend. If you want to support the podcast, get some golden artist materials, get some Fulcrum coffee, or you can buy the book, Why I Make Art. It's the official book of the Asana Vision podcast from Altilier Editions at their website, ateliereditions.com. You can also leave a rating or review or share it with a friend. All those things are very helpful for the podcast. Uh, If you want to save the date, March 28th is the day of the opening of my show at Miles McHenry Gallery in New York City. It's a new body of work times two. Basically, there will be two spaces where I have uh, two groups of work that I'm really excited about showing. So mark your calendar. Come out that Thursday night for the opening reception. Say hi. Check out the work. Tell a friend. Again, that's March 28th, Miles McHenry Gallery. We got some great people coming up on the podcast, so make sure you stay tuned.